Well, I bring you greetings from Aggie Land. I was hoping that was me the response, not some booze. Uh, thank you for that. It makes me feel at home. Appreciate that. It's been an honor to be with your men this weekend, and it's an honor to be with you today. We're going to look um, about the family. We're going to talk about the family today. So we're going to be in Colossians, and we're going to be also in Ephesians. But a Colossians 3, starting in verse 18, says... Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not be harsh with your children, lest they become discouraged. So I need you to make a deal with me today. As we talk about each one of these things, I don't want you nudging the other person with an elbow. Because most likely, we're going to get to you and the elbow might come back a little harder. So let's not do that. Let's pray and then we're going to jump right in. Lord, as we open your word today, as we come in before you, every time we come in your presence, we're to be changed. Every time we hear your word, we'll be changed. So change us today. Show us where we're succeeding and show us where we're failing. Change us today. Help us to be more and more like you as we walk out of here. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Colossians 3.18, he starts with the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Sounds pretty easy, right? You're supposed to submit to your husband. Piece of cake. Not a chance. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is to the Lord. Submission in our day has become a horrific term. Because people think it means I'm just supposed to take whatever happens. I'm subservient to the man. That's not at all what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying from creation there was an order. Man was created first and the woman. Someone has to be in charge. The buck has to stop somewhere. The great news for ladies is it doesn't stop with you. The man is the fall guy in this scenario. He gets the blame. You don't. You are to follow his leadership. You were to step back and let him lead. In the garden, when man and woman sinned, the curse for the woman was twofold. One, you're going to have pain and childbearing. What a joy that was. <laughs> Secondly, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband. He's not talking about a physical desire because absolutely you find your husband attractive. What he's talking about is your desire is going to be for his position as the head of the home. You're gonna to wanna to fight to have that. And so many men, as we talked about this weekend with your men, the characteristics of be a godly man, we just sit back and let you lead. And we've caused you to sin because that's not what you're supposed to do and we've caused ourselves to sin because we're not fulfilling our job. You are to submit to your husband. You are to let him lead and when he messes up, which he does, because he's a man and we're stupid, you're to correct him lovingly show him where he's failing you that he is to lead you he's to lead the family he's to lead the home he's the fall guy when things goes wrong when the marriage isn't whole it's the man's fault amen, amen. ladies that should excite you it's not my fault i don't have responsibility for this it's the husband's problem here's the thing though we as ladies you're probably saying you don't you don't know my husband he's not a good leader well, that's not what the scripture says. It says to submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. 
doesn't say only if he's a good leader, only if he's a great man. That's not what it says at all. Actually, in other passages, it says, by the way you submit to him, he will be challenged. He will be brought back to the Lord by your following. So ladies, if you're praying for your husband to be a better husband, I challenge you that you're probably praying the wrong thing. Now we get to the guys, the fun part. As we've been talking all weekend, men, we talked about godly men and what that looks like in characteristics. And back in Colossians chapter three, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That sounds really easy. I love my wife, I tell her I love her, I show her I love her, and when things go wrong, I just keep my mouth shut because I start talking, it's gonna be harsh. Easy peasy. No problem, right guys? We got it. Until you turn to Ephesians 5 and understand the true responsibility we have as husbands. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Suddenly, our responsibility as men has been elevated to something that we look at this and go, there is no way I can live up to that. Because we're to love our wives as Christ Love the church. And how did Christ love the church? Well, he gave himself up for the church. And if you believe that's on the cross only, you're missing the bigger picture. Christ laid down his life. He gave up everything. He was in heaven. King, Lord said, I'm going to earth to serve. And he served the church. He washed nasty people's feet. He touched lepers. As men, we're to serve our wives. We're to lay down every want and desire of ours to serve our wife, to lift her up. We're the spiritual leader of the home. That means we are the ones in this book leading our family to church, leading our family in Bible study, leading our family to show what a true godly man looks like. And we're to lay down our lives for our wives. We're to be everything about her. We're to do everything we can to lift her up, to build her up, to encourage her. And we do it not to get the old pat on the back, but we do it because we love them. My wife and I hadn't been married long. We were living in Houston, and Jill was with her sister doing something, and I said, I'm going to be the best husband of the year, and I'm going to clean the house. So I pull out the vacuum, and I start vacuuming, and I vacuum the whole house, and I do the dishes, and I clean the bathrooms and the toilets and all that. And this is days before we had the Swiffer dusting things so I had to use pledge and a rag and if you don't know what pledge is ask your parents they'll tell you it's a lot harder back then to clean and dust so I clean the house turn on uh, sit down turn on the game wait for Jill to come home wait for that I said well done well done husband so she comes home and immediately goes to the bathroom and comes out and I'm just kind of what the heck's going on here wait a couple minutes and she doesn't say anything I said babe you notice anything what are you talking about I cleaned the house you did? And I realized in that moment, my level of cleanliness and my wife's level of cleanliness aren't the same. And praise the Lord, I've never cleaned the house since. <laughs> but I did it for the wrong reason. I didn't do it to serve my wife. I did it for the old pat on the back, well done, husband. Guys, we're to serve our wives. We're to lay down everything to serve them. Yes, we would, every one of us would take a bullet for our wives, 100%. 
but it's so much more than that. Our lives are to be about them. And if you're praying for your wife to follow you, you're praying the wrong thing. Now, if you're a single person in the room and you desire, desperately desire that spouse, that husband, that wife, I hear you. God hears you. He knows that desire is in you. He knows that desire is there. Part of my job at, at Central is to I'm the minister to the single, so we deal with this a lot. What I tell you is to focus on the Lord, follow Christ, pursue him. His word says his word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. He's lighting the way you should go. Follow that. Don't look to the side to the darkness. Follow his path. Pursue him. And along the way, you're going to realize, oh, there's some other people on this journey with me. That maybe a relationship starts from that. I don't know what God's called you to do. All I know is he's called you to follow him. And not focus on what you don't have, but focus on what he's already given you. Praying for the spouse, maybe you're praying for the wrong thing. Next, back to Colossians 3. Children, you're not off the hook. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents. That may be a foreign concept here. I don't know, College Station. We got kids roaming crazy over there. Children, obey your parents. And then we look at Ephesians chapter 6. He ups the ante. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Children, obey your parents. And also upstanding says, honor your father and mother. Adult children in the room, you're not off the hook. We're to honor our parents until either they are gone or we are gone from this earth. We're to honor our parents. My mom is 84, I think, 83. I'm sorry, mom, if you're watching. I forgot your age. I'm 52. I still do what my mom says because I want to honor her. I want to lift her up as well. We're to honor our parents for a lifetime. If you're a young child in the room, if you're a child living at home under your parents' authority and responsibility financially and all that, you too are obey your parents. It doesn't say obey them only if you like it or obey them only if it makes sense. You're to obey your parents. Why? One, because God says so. Two, they know better. They've been there. They've lived that life you're now living they want the best for you. They have your best interests at heart, so we obey our parents, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if you have a housekeeper and your mom says, go clean your room, the housekeeper's coming tomorrow. That made no sense to me when I was a kid. Like, housekeeper's coming, she's there to clean the house, my room's part of the house. Until I got older and had a housekeeper son Go clean your room, the maid's coming tomorrow. But dad, I don't pay the maid to pick up your room. Pick up your room so she can clean your room. Oh, that's what my mom's been telling me my whole life. Suddenly made sense. But we're to obey our parents. Kids, you're to obey your parents, whether you understand it, whether you like it or not, you're to do that. Fathers, he ups the ante on us. Back to Colossians 3. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children. I love this because I'm horrible at this. Uh, my, my son and I like to argue, and it starts out real fun and games, and then suddenly it escalates, and it's an argument. I've provoked him in some way, like I provoked him in yesterday when I talked about how much I can't stand the Dallas Cowboys and how much pleasure I took in that playoff game. The pastor and I had a little issue there for a while, but I called him Dwight, and it was all good. So, But Ephesians 6 takes it a step further for us. Verse 4, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're not provoke our children, but we're supposed to instruct and discipline. We're talking about two to three different things. Provoking your children, you know what your children's hot buttons are. And you do it just to set them off. Maybe because you just don't want them in the room anymore, so you want to make them mad so they'll go to their room. Or you want to make them mad so they'll do whatever. But you know what I mean when I say provoke. You know their hot buttons and you press them just to start the argument. That's not instruction. That's not discipline. That's not loving at all. And that's what we're talking about. We're not to provoke our children. Yes, we're to instruct them. Yes, we're to tell them the things of God. Yes, we're to give them advice about life. Yes, we're to teach them how to drive. Yes, we're going to make sure they do their homework. Yes, you're going to help them with that homework if you can. Algebra. When do they start putting letters in math, right? You do what you can to instruct and to help, and you discipline them. When they step out of line, you have to discipline. And the pain of that disobedience, the pain of punishment, excuse me, when they step out of line, the pain of that punishment must outweigh their joy of that disobedience. So whatever you use punishment form, whether that's taking away a cell phone, whether that's taking away a car, whether that's taking away Legos or whatever young kids are doing, Xbox, all those things, it must be greater hurt to them than the pleasure they got out of disobeying you. We have to discipline our kids. We have to instruct our kids. And we have to make sure we don't provoke them. Ladies, part of your job as a wife is to understand your husband to understand that he is a box. He's like a waffle. And there's a box. And when you ask us what we're thinking about, we have a nothing box that we can actually be thinking about absolutely nothing. We're not that smart. We're not that deep. Or we're thinking about donuts, and we don't want to tell you we're thinking about donuts because that sounds really dumb. But we actually have the ability to think about nothing. Men, if you're going to be a godly man, you must understand your wife. You must seek to understand her. Understand that everything in her life is connected. That what happens at work, what happens at home, what happened to her when she was 16, what happened to her when she was 22 is all connected. And she's going to start crying for some reason. You don't understand while you're watching NCIS and go, why are you crying? I'm just emotional. But we have to understand them. And as parents, we have to understand our kids and understand what sets them off and to make sure we don't do that on purpose and to instruct and to discipline. And for parents out there who don't have kids, I hear you the struggle, I hear your pain. I know that Mother's Day is the worst day of the year for you at church because we honor mothers and you wanna be there. And Father's Day is the same but not as bad for the men, that you have this desire to have a child that isn't happening for some reason. God has a plan. 
just like the singles, you pursue Christ. God has a plan for you. And maybe, kids, if you're praying for your parents to be better parents, you're praying the wrong thing. And parents, if you're praying for your kids to obey you, maybe you're praying the wrong thing. And married folks without kids, if you're praying for kids, maybe you're praying the wrong thing. I know I've said that a lot, that maybe you're praying the wrong thing. Here's what I mean by that. My wife and I were married at 25, and we had life figured out. 20, middle 20s there, got life figured out, right? It's all done. We got it figured out. We're married at 25. We're going to have our first kid at 30. We're going to have our second kid at 33. And if we decide to have a third, we'd have it around 35, 36. Lord, that's our plan. Bless it. So the year where we're turning 30, we decided, okay, we got to start family planning. So in March of that year, we started family planning to have a child. March comes and goes. No child. April, May, no baby, no pregnancy. We go to June. We go see a doctor. Nothing's happening. July, August, we go back to the doctor. I don't know why you aren't pregnant. Something's not right. September, October, my 30th birthday comes and goes. November, the day before Jill's 30th birthday, I can take you to my home where we lived in Houston, where I was doing my time with the Lord, begging God for Jill to be pregnant on her 30th birthday. I thought this would be this, the greatest birthday present of all time. She's pregnant on her birthday. Her birthday comes, she's not pregnant. The next eight years, my wife and I pray for a child that never came. Very dark time in our marriage. I remember having a conversation with Jill. Was, she's on the couch and I'm on the ottoman and we're, we're, tears are running down our face. And I literally said, are we going to get through this? And both of us the answer was, I don't know. We have to focus on the Lord. And suddenly we, we changed that focus. And our prayer was still the same for a baby that never came. And some well-meaning friends in our church, and we started sharing our story. We've been trying for four years, five years, six years, seven years. They always had a response. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you thought about adoption? Free advice today. If you know someone who's struggling, don't tell them that. That's just like a knife in the back. They just want you to listen. They just want you to pray for them. The same thing you don't ask a single person when they're getting married. It's a knife in the back. Don't ask a married person when they're having kids because you don't know their story. So after eight years, Jill and I realized this is what not God, God just doesn't have this for us. We were working in the youth ministry at the church. We had 200 kids. We figured this is our kids. These 200, we're not going to parent them. We get the cool part. We get to have fun with them, send them home with their parents, sugar them up. You deal with them. And so our prayer changed. Lord, we've accepted this. We're okay with it, finally. It took us eight years. We moved to College Station. Fast forward, we moved to College Station. We're starting flag football at our church. And I have a meeting um, with these leaders. And one of the leaders that Jill and I knew from Houston had beat us to College Station was going to be our flag football um, referee coordinator. And they RSVP'd for the meal, and he RSVP'd five. They're like, he's only got one kid. They're just bringing some other people. Okay, whatever. So he shows up, and they got these two newborns, infants. And while we're having our meeting, Jill and her have a conversation that they adopted these kids. So Jill and I start praying about adoption. And if you've ever adopt, or know the process of CPS adopting, we decide we're going to adopt an older kid because we're 40-something at this time, and an infant ain't going to work because I'm too old to change diapers at this point. So we adopted a, a young man. His name's Joey. He's been with us uh, 10 years now. It's been, I wouldn't say it's been all roses, but it's been great. We went through this adoption process, and we adopted Joey, and we had of our family. 
The wises have a family. And so I can take you to our place in, in College Station where I have my time with the Lord. And I was praying for him. I was going through a difficult time. And I was, and I was at the point of almost begging again. And he's reminding me. He says, do you remember praying for Jill to be pregnant? I'm like, well, duh, Lord, come on. He said, do you remember what day that was? It was the day before her 30th birthday. Quietly he said, what was the date? Quick math. Well, that was November 28th, 1999, and it hit me. It's the day Joey was born. Sometimes we think we're praying the right thing, and we've messed it all up. And in that moment, I went, I see what you did there. That's pretty cool. But we spent eight years praying the wrong thing. God worked it out for his glory that we have a son, Joey, who was born on that day. I think he just did that um, just to show me I'm in charge, not you. But sometimes we're praying the wrong thing. And when we finally get on board with praying what God wants us to pray, you read through Scripture, if you, it says if you pray in his will, you already have it. For eight years, Jill and I prayed for a baby that we were never supposed to have. So if you're a wife praying for your husband to be a better husband, maybe you should be praying that you be a better follower of him so that he can be a better leader so that he can fail in his leadership and realize that, oh, this is my responsibility, not yours. And men, if you're praying for your wife to be a better follower, maybe you should be praying to be a better husband, to be a better leader, so that she can follow you, and then you can lift her up and honor her and present her. And children, if you're praying for your parents to be better parents, maybe you should obey your parents and give them the opportunity to be better since you start obeying. They're gonna be a little bit more loving at times. Do this, kids, here's what you do. Don't do it today, because they'll know I told you to do it. This week or next week, whatever you're supposed to do around the house, whether it's clean your room, take out trash, whatever, do it before they ask you. You wanna freak your parents out, do that. Do it before they have to remind you to do it. Maybe you should be praying that you're a better child for your parents, and fathers, stop provoking your kids. Quit praying for them to be more obedient and pray that you don't provoke them anymore, that you instruct and give them discipline as God has given us to do. If we get on board in singles, pray to God and thank him for what all he's given you. Yes, I understand you want to be married. Maybe that's not his calling for you. Maybe it is. Maybe he needs to fix something in you. Maybe as a single woman, you need to be ready to be the follower and you're not there yet. Or maybe the single man, you're, you need to be the leader and you're not prepared to be the leader yet. So start working on being a better leader and being a better follower so that when time comes, the transition is so much easier. We need to pray to God to fix us, not to fix the other person. And if we pray his will, he says, we have it. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today just humbled by who you are, by your word, that you've given us instructions and they're so clear that there is an order to this and it's ultimately the man's responsibility to lead the home. It's the woman's responsibility to lift her husband up by following her, him and letting him lead and letting him fail. Lord, and as, as kids, we're to obey and we're to honor our parents and that's for a lifetime. So we pray that if we're not doing that, that we would do that today. Lord, help us to see you in all things, to see the great gifts you've already given us. Help us to be focused on what you've already given us, not on what we're lacking.
because it says your grace is sufficient. So help us to understand what that truly means. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.